Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Today on CityCast Boise, Republicans are headed into a hectic presidential caucus this weekend, and Idaho made national headlines for the failed execution of a death row inmate. I'm rounding up the news of the week with Boise State Public Radio's George Prentice. It's Friday, the first day of March. I'm Frankie Barnhill, and this is what Boise's talking about. George, thanks for being here. February, it's it's over. March is here. So uh, one of the things we definitely need to talk about is mm. uh, the budget process at the state house, in particular, the budget process for public universities, namely Boise State. Um, you recently sp- spoke with Boise State President Marlene Trump, and last year Republicans really gave her the third degree. Uh, that did it did not go well when she went in front of the legislature last year. But things are different this year, right? Or or what is different this year? Uh, The process is very different in that there's a lot of, we could call it a number of things, but it's behind closed doors, meetings and sessions and deconstruction of the budget. Traditionally, uh, for instance, a president of a university would stand before the legislature's budget writing committee and, and say, this is how much we need and this is why we need it. And let me tell you this and that. That is all gone and only people from uh, the Department of Administration and Legislative Services do that. And then the president steps up, and then it is the equivalent of a verbal firing squad, and it right. can be questions from any direction. And honestly, a year ago, uh, uh, full disclosure, I, I, I uh, Boise State Public Radio uh, was, uh, was in the crosshairs, and that was one of the questions. So I was like, okay, well, let's see how this happens. So I was anxious to talk to Dr. Trump just before she stood uh, before that committee. And like, how do you prepare for this? And Because, yeah, she could be asked anything. Like, what is this line item? You know, tell me how it's changed over years. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I, I wasn't overly surprised to hear her say, well, my staff has helped me, um, you know, as much as possible, et cetera. And Dr. Trump has some traditional talking points. What kind of caught me off balance, though, was pretty early in the conversation, she talked about their graduation rate, which I think is a metric that almost everyone can understand. Yeah, that but, would be the key metric, yeah. it seems like, for a public university. Yeah, how many yeah. how many, how many, many students are actually graduating? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a pretty big deal to increase a, a public university's graduation rate by about a percent, a percent and a half. That's that's kind of the uh, the going rate of, quote unquote, success. Okay. She said, and I had, I had to double check this, but she said the Boise State has increased its four-year graduation rate. By 39%, not 3.9, which would have been staggering, yeah. 39% over five years. That is 
wild. What? That can't be right, right? But but mm-hmm. we double-checked it, and it was right. And so I said, do you have a short answer? Because I'm sure there's a long one, but do you have a short answer for why? And then we started talking about math and how it is, no matter how brilliant a undergrad could be, math is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And she said, and I think it's kind of a a funny anecdote, but she said that the two things that terrify most undergrads are math and poetry, <laughs> which, which I think was pretty. <laughs> and, th- and then it's like, yeah, I think I can actually relate to that. Um, but Boise State invested, and I, you know, I'm sure this wasn't by accident, has invested a great deal in a formal brick and mortar new math learning center. Right. What is this? It is a new department on campus to facilitate undergrads at any level, freshmen, people who are weeks away from graduation, people who are just trying to just get through math, which is, in some cases, maybe it's one or two courses, right, that's required. In some cases, it's more. Um, And whether you're taking the arts or whether you're taking the sciences, you're going to be taking math. Um, And then look at, and she said, yeah, it's, do do, do you want to know why a lot of students like bomb out in their freshman or sophomore year? It's Math. math. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. Talking to me, who was an English major, uh, completely relate to that. I remember the one math course I took in college that I was just like, check the box, take the easiest thing I can, get get the right. hell out of here. Um, so, yeah, to have access to that so students can just drop in. It's like, but it's specific math-centered tutoring and help. And maybe it's one visit. Maybe it's maybe it's a 90-minute visit. And maybe it's, it's three times a week. Uh, hmm. It is what it is. But you're thinking, oh, well, that makes sense. And then you realize it's like, no, that makes really good sense for the bottom line. So how did lawmakers respond to that news, the fact that 39% um, increase over five years in graduation, as well as just in general what she was able to answer around budget and everything? Her performance before the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee went about as well as could be expected. It I, There was not much negativity, and I think that this might have taken them aback a little bit. Huh. Um, and so huh. more often than not, the questions were more comments of like, wow, keep it up. And by the way, can we talk about the elephant in the room? The University of Idaho, right? Well, uh, right. The University of Idaho yeah. is taking all of the oxygen right They're now. They're taking all the heat, yeah. Right, yeah. Of, of the higher ed conversation slash controversy. And, and they you know, and they have yet, by the way, to stand before the budget committee. That'll be uh, next week. So, And that's um, because of their, their very controversial, what, acquisition of the University of Phoenix, right? That's the elephant in the room? Is that what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, and the legislature has actually introduced a bill that basically is calling for a series of like McCarthy-like hearings, right, uh, to talk about this. And uh, the AG's office is, uh, they're not even being subtle about this. They want to sue the mm-hmm. University of Idaho, let alone the State Board of Education. So yeah. if you're Boise State or you're Lewis Clark or you're ISU, you're just kind of standing back. It's like, mm. and by the way, one other little tidbit the higher ed budget for four-year universities, they bundled them all together. 
So that begs the question, because on the surface, I'm like, well, it went so much better this year. Uh, You know, maybe she was she knew what she was getting into. They uh, knew what questions they wanted to ask her. But the bigger question of like, has the climate changed for state universities or is this year something else is going on that? Yeah, she was the eye of Sauron is on the U of I. (laughs) I think I think quite frankly, that's it. Right. I think that's the jingly keys. And no, yeah. the culture hasn't changed one darn bit. And and yes, there are more than a few legislators who just don't like Boise State, let alone many of their programs, departments, uh, uh, efforts uh, for all kinds of reasons. And uh, so does that mean you dodge a bullet? I don't know. I think there's only so much oxygen. Pardon my overusing this cliche, I only think there's so much oxygen in the room. And I think the U of I is the top, you talk about higher ed in the state of Idaho. Oh my gosh, it's the University of Idaho. And this proposal to purchase this huge online university, this is making national news. And the fact that, you know, our own attorney general wants to sue to stop it. Wow. You know, this is as big as you know, the Albertson story, but it just happens to be a public education. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed in the Idaho Ed News write-up about uh, Trump in front of, of lawmakers in front of JFAC on Monday that co-chair Wendy, Representative Wendy Horman, thanked her for providing the detailed responses. Uh, and they just really seemed, it was a, it was a very different atmosphere. Frankie, you and I talk about this all the time. And I know this sounds simple, but it's not. It's always about being able to tell your story. And whether you are selling shoes or whether you are the president of a large public university, you've got to be able to tell your story with detail, you know, not smoke and mirrors, with detail, with examples and sometimes numbers, et cetera. And that is quite often the difference between success and failure. Yeah. And I mean, she was speaking their language, too. Like she, you know, she listed off numbers and, you know, said, quote, we are so proud to be your most efficient university. Uh, We're always looking for ways to reduce costs. And then she started talking about actually uh, needing less money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Which on the one hand, I'm like, oh, is this is this a great is this a good long term strategy? Like it seems like a good short term strategy. But what will it mean for the long term? Is Boise State turning more toward other funding sources? And they're just like, you know what, legislature will will expect about this much from you. And maybe we're looking for other other ways. I don't know. That's a that's a bigger question. But I've kind of I was curious about that and making that a big point in their favor and what that means long term. And look at Boise State over the last, let's say, 10 years, right? And their elevation of a number of new PhD programs, their relationships with large corporations, i.e. Micron, let alone the right. elevation of their Division One sports programs. We're about to enter March Madness. And by the way, the women's basketball team is as swell as the men's basketball team. And by the way, the answer to all your questions when it comes to sports is money. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD.
Okay, George, we definitely need to talk about this story. Another uh, a name that has been in national headlines this week, Thomas Creech. He uh, was set to be executed on Wednesday by the state of Idaho, um, was on death row for many years, and was going to be the first person to be executed by the state since 2012. What happened on Wednesday? The medical team couldn't get an IV line. And indeed, these are professionals. And uh, for the record, the people who are on the escort medical administrative teams are usually hmm. people who have volunteered to uh, to be there. Um, but they couldn't get an IV line on multiple attempts. As a matter of fact, one of the team members actually left the execution room, presumably to get wow. more needles. Uh, but they couldn't get an IV line. And then the Department of Correction administrators said, that's it. You have to call it. And this is not the first time this has happened in the United States. So there indeed is a, a rule, and whether it's a formal or informal rule, that you don't proceed. You don't proceed because, Frankie, you and I both have heard and read stories about awful attempts yeah. to try to execute people and sometimes they've gone through and sometimes they haven't but it is it, it you're going into an entirely different yeah. plane of punishment at that level uh so that's what happened and as a result that death warrant is very specific and it expires and so if they want to attempt to do this again and let's assume that the state of idaho will they have to go through the legal process, get another death warrant, and go through the rehearsals, et cetera. But keep in mind that members of his family were there to witness this. His spiritual advisor were there to witness this, as well as four members of the media and representatives from the governor and attorney general's office. I've witnessed an execution, not in this state, uh, lethal injection. I don't recommend it, and I don't. I, I'm not trying to be glib when mm. I say that. I don't recommend it to any journalist. You think you're ready. You think you're mature enough. You will never be the same. Um, and uh, I've I've covered more than a few of these, et cetera, so I understand the clinical nature of this. But this does go to another level. And I'm not here to talk about why this nation executes people or not. I'm talking about the process. But for now, Thomas Creech, Idaho's longest-serving death row inmate, is very much alive. Yeah, and we'll obviously keep tabs on this story and see what the next steps are and what the state what the state does next. And there was this whole thing, you know, in the background of this of the, where these lethal injection, you know, cocktails essentially come from, and that's been in the news for many years now. And the legislature approved a law two years ago that uh, shelters yeah. the Department of Correction from disclosing where they get these drugs, and we have heard stories of. Uh, transferals in parking lots, and uh, this that this there is zero transparency on this issue. Yeah, it was what a dramatic turn for an already really dramatic, um, um, very yeah. serious story. Okay, let's zoom forward a little bit. So uh, uh, Saturday, uh, Idaho Republicans they're going to be caucusing uh, for the presidential caucus at sites all around the state. But one group that won't be in attendance are folks like you and me because the media isn't allowed in this year. What the hell? <laughs> No surprise, those folks who are at the management level of the state Republican Party, there is no love lost between them and the media. Uh, but 
to have, again, zero transparency. Yeah. In other words, I, and I've covered caucus, I've been to caucuses in Iowa and other states. For goodness sakes, I've been to a caucus here in Idaho when it was in Taco Bell Arena. <laughs> and it was packed to the, it was, it was, it was like a Republican circus. Wow. And it was, it was insane and lovely, but it was the story. Right. And we went around and we talked to people of why they supported this person or that person. And by the way, caucuses are messy on a good day. Um, but no media whatsoever. As a matter of fact, no media at the administrative office when the votes come in. So not even and there the, to watch the talent, the votes. Right, arrive. the phone calls yeah. or the email or whatever yeah, that yeah, yeah. is, whether it's electronic or paper or faxes, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And by the way, there's going to be locations all over Idaho where people are going to walk in and these are going to be a mess. The way the Republican caucus is set up in the state of Idaho, if you don't have daycare, if you are infirmed, right. if you are serving in the military and you can't go to a caucus, you will not be included. Yeah, you're 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 left out of this process. Yes. Put the press aside for a moment, right? So there are members, high members of the Idaho legislature, elected people who say this is bad. And this past week, a bill surfaced, a Senate State Affairs Committee to dump the caucus. Not this year's caucus, it's too late. Right. But this is nonsense. And the majority leader of the Republican Party, Senator Kelly Anthon, said, my constituents don't want this. They want a wow. primary. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, yes, again, put aside the press and the fact that we're not uh, allowed in there. Um, the fact that people who can't get daycare. Yeah, the fact <laughs> that Republicans themselves can't decide, can't agree on what this should look like, how it should work. Um, it just seems super messy. And it seems like it's a reflection of the messiness in general of the Idaho Republican Party and the people who consider themselves. Republicans in Idaho and who's who's in that in the in group within the cool crowd within the Republican Party, which right now is the far right conservative group for the most part, um, leaving behind kind of the more traditional Republicans. Uh, One other big non-surprise arguing against any change, in other words, arguing for the caucus uh, during a public hearing this week. The Idaho Freedom Foundation. Oh yeah, okay. Tell they me more. They want the caucus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're Fred Birnbaum from the Idaho Freedom Foundation said, "Oh, we're not so sure about this change." And then there was uh, the secretary from the Idaho GOP saying, "Why are you beating up the caucus?" Well, every member of the Senate State Affairs Committee said, "No, we want a primary." Hmm. Um, who is, uh, who is to blame, or I guess who's blaming each other might be the better question at this stage. <laughs> it gets, it gets really messy. It's, yeah. it's, it was a big screw up a year ago with a bill of, oh yeah, how can Idaho be a part of the conversation of choosing candidates and, oh yeah, why don't we push it up to, uh, uh, to early March and, uh, oh, if we're going to do that, I guess we should caucus. And then the Republican Party came in and said, yeah, 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 caucus, because we don't want, number one, any independents in the room, and now we don't want any press in the room. And so that's the the, the short story of how we got there. Hmm. And that bill was a mess. And the Secretary of State at the time had his fingerprints all over it. It was a mess. It should never have been passed. That's how we got here. But quite frankly, the caucus of 2024, people are going to be laughing at this years from now when we are back with a primary. Okay, well, um, 
I'd love to get an update from you on something that we've talked about before, uh, bring us back to Boise, specifically downtown Boise, um, specifically the Union Block building. So a uh, reminder, this is the, uh, the historic building in downtown that was recently condemned by the city. Uh, you know, maybe you used to frequent Mai Tai or Moon's uh, Kitchen. Those those restaurants had to had to leave because the building was condemned um, essentially because the city said it was dangerous and falling apart. What is the latest? Well, if you remember, there was actually an appeal at City Hall. In in January. Right. So so if you, uh, and by the way, you can't even go near this building. The sidewalk outside the building is blocked off as well. That's how unsafe the city says. Uh, but, you know, from a distance, you can see the signs that are uh, right up in the window of the building. Do not enter unsafe to occupy. And so it was condemned. The city took over and said, sorry, you know, everybody out, basically. And so the the owner of the building, Ken Howell, a Boise developer and owner of Park Lane Management, uh, cried foul. And he uh, asked for an appeal of that. Well, city rules say an appeal goes before the city council. And on January 30th, there was a hearing before the city council but guess who wasn't there? Ken Howell. Ken Howell, the one who wanted the the appeal in the first place, right, right? Right, he wasn't there. So the council was like, yeah, we'll deny this appeal and we're going to uphold this. And in the meantime, okay, now fast forward to today, Ken Howell is suing. He's, he's filed a lawsuit against uh, the city of Boise and a couple of folks at planning and development, including uh, Tim Keene, uh, the manager there, but not he's actually leaving in a few days to go up to a job in Calgary, but that's a separate matter. Yeah. Um, so he's suing the city, saying you know uh, that the, the process wasn't right uh, and uh, the, the bad press is hurting him. It's hurting the value of the building, et cetera. And I'm thinking, well, that ship sailed. Uh, <laughs> but everybody gets their day and everybody actually has uh, an opportunity for recourse. So there's another chapter. But in the meantime, the, the Really, the only question I want answered sooner than later is, is anyone working on this? Right. <laughs> yeah, what's being done to get I'm desperately this? Yeah. concerned about this landmark of a yeah. building. Yeah. And I, and, and I don't think anyone disagrees that we want to save this building. Well, right. And um, Boise in particular in downtown, I mean, doesn't hasn't always had the best reputation of preserving downtown buildings. Um, and so to see one like this really fall in disrepair and now there's this legal tussle, I guess, yeah, a lawsuit was inevitable. Um, but man. It's melodrama at this stage when, in fact, we are talking about public safety. And please, is somebody... Mr. Howell, are you or any one of your team working on this building? Right. Um, okay, more to follow on that one, I guess. Uh, that story yeah. continues to spin out. Well, uh, I don't know. Speaking of stories, um, you are in Sun Valley for the Sun Valley Film Festival. And yeah. I hear you're going to be interviewing Annette Benning. Uh, yeah, little yeah. celebrity moment. Um, d tell me more. Can I tell you a story? You know me in stories, right? Yes, please. Uh, before probably a number of people who are listening were born. So it's April 1987, and I went to New York to catch up on some new plays, then new plays. August Wilson had a new play called Fences, which, of course, has yeah, wow. been a great movie since. But it just it had just uh, opened in New York, and Neil Simon had a new play, and so I went to New York. And I'm, I'm standing in the, the half-price ticket line 
in Times Square, the TKTS ticket line, and and that's where you rub shoulders and you ask people, hey, what have you seen? Is there, is there anything good? And someone said, oh, there's this new play called Coastal Disturbances. And it's like, okay, well, that sounds interesting. Who's in it? And it's like, oh, you won't know anyone who's in it. They're all new young actors. But there's this, there's this new young actress. It's her first appearance in New York. Her name is Annette something. And so I got a ticket, and I went to see Coastal Disturbances, and it was a brilliant play by Tina Howe. And there is Annette Benning. And uh, and and I, it's like, you know, I, I have, I get these professional crushes, right? <laughs> so, you know, and this was before. You know, her first, I think her first appearance was in Postcards from the Edge. And then, of course, Bugsy, where she met her, you know, soon-to-be husband, Warren Beatty. You know, American President, oh uh, American gosh. Beauty, yes. American right? Beauty. I mean, you just, yes. right, you know, fast forward, I think about 12 years, I'm living in Los Angeles, and I went to the theater to see a revival of Hedda Gabler starring Annette Benning. <laughs> Two seats down from me is Warren Beatty. And it's like, oh, my gosh, do I feel <laughs> like it? So... I'm going to have to put a lid on my crush, right? Yeah. <laughs> so do I have questions? I've got a hundred questions. Most, you know, and it starts with she was just nominated for yet another Oscar. Right. She's going to be at the Academy Awards in a week and a half, and she's up for Best Actress for the film Nyad, which is a brilliant film that folks can see on Netflix, the true story of Diana Nyad, one of the most complex American athletes in history, co-starring Jodie Foster. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, another story, 13 years ago, the very first Sun Valley Film Festival, here I am sitting next to Jodie Foster. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> right? You know, so over the I, – I I, I'm the luckiest guy you know. But, you know, I'm just some goon who spends his time, you know, talking about politics and, and buildings and, you know, and and uh, and occasionally, you know, occasionally something about film. So I – I definitely drew the long straw on this. I, I I don't know how I backed into this, but I'm very lucky. Well, I need to watch Nyad. I was supposed to watch it a couple weekends ago. And then instead, uh, speaking of Jodie Foster, I am watching the latest iteration of True Detective with her. And oh, my God. She, so the best. Incredible. Incredible. Right? But I mean, Annette Benning, yeah, iconic. I mean, American president. Every four years, I dust off American president. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. why is it we never had that president? It's like, why didn't we get that? And by the way, there is no West Wing without American president. That was such a that good point. was Aaron Sorkin, right? Totally. Who, right, you know, who cast, you know, Martin Sheen and, and Michael J. Fox in supporting roles. And then because of the success of that film, boom, the West Wing came out a couple years later. Uh, well, I'm so happy for you, George. You are lucky, but also you deserve it. Have so much fun. Um, I will. I can't wait to hear how the conversation with Annette Benning goes and all the other people that you might meet and films you get to get to watch this weekend. So, but but you know what? Uh, you know, I I I don't get off leash too often, and and uh, when I come visit with you, it is such a pleasure. Oh, it's. You know, it's always a highlight. It truly is. So thank you. Thanks, George. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for listening to CityCast Boise this week. The show was produced by Evelyn Avitia, Grant Irving, Dylan Brogan, Nick Kwa, and me, Frankie Barnhill. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter, and our music is by Up Is The Down Is The... If you enjoyed our show today, do me a favor, will you? Tell your friends about us. We'll see you here next week.